Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Welcome back to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast and I hope you're all ready for a good moan because it's the day after not only one of the worst Everton games I think I've ever seen, one of the worst games of footy I've ever been unfortunate enough to watch in my whole life. Uh, Everton losing to Sheffield United, always going to happen as soon as you as soon as you watched Alisson walk up the other end and score a last minute winner for Liverpool and, and a 17 year old full debutant named for Sheffield United. It, it was always heading in one direction, wasn't it, Prenno? Yeah, I suppose you could say that. Um, it, it was it was completely and utterly surreal. I mean, I've certainly seen a lot worse than that. Uh, that should qualify, you know, what Don't I'm going to say. Um, no, I mean, there were opportunities, admittedly very, very few of them. But, you know, how on earth Dominic Calvert-Lewin didn't bury that chance and Richarlison should have buried the chance but let's not, you know, sugarcoat it. It was an absolutely wretched performance. And what's most concerning is that we've been seeing these kind of performances now regularly at Goodison Park. And I, I can't get my head around it. I mean, Carlo Ancelotti, you know, a manager of his vast European experience and pedigree, seemed at a loss to explain it afterwards. Yeah. And I was struggling myself a little bit. When you look at the record away from home, and it's actually... Uh, a club record uh, in terms of points per game gathered uh, in games this season, 2.06 or something, which is more than any other season in the club's history, even the nine seasons that we've won the league. And yet, in contrast to Goodison Park, it's the worst, the absolute worst in 143 years. And that just seems to indicate that when other teams have possession of the ball, we can defend okay and we can be dangerous and we can quite lively on the counter-attack. But when we're suddenly asked to be creative and be inventive and you know have possession and try and break teams down, we haven't got a clue. And it's just it's so worrying that you know uh, already, you know, I know it's only what 12, 18 months since you know, so Carlo Ancelotti's tenure, but he already seems to be at a bit of a loss to explain how to rectify that, other than by bringing in better players. So for the first time this season, really, I'm, I'm feeling worried. You know, I'm, I'm concerned about um, you know sort of where we go from here. I've got absolute faith in Ancelotti. You know, so don't take this as a you know a way of having a go at the manager. You know, I believe he is the right man for the job. Uh, I believe we are very very fortunate to have a manager of his pedigree. But I'm a little bit concerned that you know we're still scraping around a little bit uh, for solutions to what has been an obvious problem for several months now. Adam, you've been. <laughs> on the one hand, some people at the start of the season might have said you were fortunate to, to, to attend basically every Everton home game this season. It turns out you've been very unfortunate to watch yeah. some of the offerings that have been saved up. Was that the worst of the lot for you yesterday? It, it, it's the fact that I'm even contemplating, like seriously contemplating whether it was, is, you know, it's, it speaks volumes, doesn't it? You know, about how about how dreadful Everton have been uh, at home this season. 
I think probably the closest one is the Fulham game at home. I think we were absolutely yeah. abysmal in that Fulham game and we lost that one 2 0. So I'd maybe just about put that one down as the worst. But you know, that that's not to talk up <laughs> what happened uh, what happened yesterday in any in any way, shape or form. I think what you said right at the start was was the most disappointing thing, wasn't it? You know, as soon as as soon as Sheffield United take the lead, it's seven minutes into the game, and instantly you're thinking to yourself, "Oh, okay, Everton probably aren't going to get back into this now." Then and that, that's how that's how poor that they've been at home this season. They just don't seem to have have the fight and or any sort of attacking impetus uh, to to go forward and break teams down. Uh, at Goodison Park this season, I, I was saying, like, talking to Phil Kirkbride at halftime. Of the game, and I was I was just saying to him, what what is Everton's attacking plan here? Like, apart from give the ball to James Rodriguez and see what he can do with it, what what kind of discernible tactics did Everton have to try and break down Sheffield United? I just thought you don't you don't you don't want to have a go at Carlo Ancelotti too much because you know as Preno says, he's the right man for the job, and you know he's he's had to put up with a lot. With this, uh, with this squad this season, but I think he take, I think he needs to take a fair whack of the responsibility uh, for yesterday's result. To be honest, because the decision to start five defenders and two midfielders, who I would call you know fairly defensive minded in in uh, Decore and Alan, I, ju- I just think that was a an absolutely baffling decision. I, d- I just don't think we needed that at home to Sheffield United. Why? Why did we not? Switch to a four at the back, play a four-three-three. You know, do do something differently. You know, it, it was it was very clear. You know, after we conceded after seven minutes, I think we needed the change. Then I, I'd, I'd have been I'd have been absolutely fine with him taking Mason Holgate off at that point. Never mind waiting until half time. I think by the time we'd we'd waited waited until half time, the chance had gone, and you know the game had the game had gone, and that's that's a sad statement in itself. Really, when we were bringing players on, it was the likes of. You know, Andre Gomez, Bernard. You know, these are these are quality players on their day, but they're just so drastically out of form. What were they? What were they going to bring to from the bench in a in a game like that? It's it's just it, it, it's just really disappointing, and it, it, it's just one of those that you've just got to add to the the long list of ridiculous disappointments at Goodison Park this season. And you know, it, it's as Chris Beasley's been saying on the podcast the last couple of the last couple of times. You, you can blame. You can blame there being no fans there for maybe the first one or two games at Goodison Park because you've lost the advantage of having fans there. But Everton aren't at a disadvantage for not having fans there. You know, it's a it's a level playing field and it's still their home stadium. The fact that they're getting dominated like this by a team, you know, like like Sheffield United, who, you know, all due respect, they got they got relegated a month ago. And they they completely schooled Everton. All they needed to do was let Everton have the ball and sit back, and that was it. They they had the game won. Yeah, it's just it's a it's abysmal, really. And you you can only you can only wonder what's going to happen on Wednesday when fans are back. You know, I, I can only presume that they're going to put in a much better performance in front of six and a half thousand fans because if they put in a display that's anywhere near what they did uh, last night, then they're in for they're in for a world of pain. Is the fact that Ancelotti hasn't changed it, Connor? You know, he, he hasn't changed the way we've played really for the majority of the season, apart from, you know, we had that flurry at the beginning of the campaign where we were scoring a lot of goals and it then kind of felt like he wanted to go to a more conservative approach. But does it all just point towards 
he doesn't feel like he has the options to, to play a different brand of football. It, it seems like he's played throughout the season a, a very kind of fine margins. He, he went for a fine margins approach, which is fine. You know, when we were picking up 1-0 wins at Sheffield United, West Brom was a similar game at the Hawthorns, but at home it just hasn't worked. What, why do you think he hasn't changed it? Does he just not have that trust in the players available to him and the players who can come off the bench? Yeah, I think I think you're right, Sam. I think it, it's. It, I think now when you look at it, it it's got to be trust. There's, there's got to be something there. I mean, I think even you know you look at like the sign of Josh King and the little yeah. he's had a little game time he's been given suggests that Carlos if he doesn't trust them and doesn't really have the belief in that he's going to make a sort of a, a positive impact from the stars. And I think we, we've all kind of come up with all a lot of theories and thoughts and kind of you know like Adam said, they you know the fan question exception over the since since Christmas since you know the home form began to plummet you know probably from, from the West Ham game onwards really just before the you know the turn of the new year and I think now it's just a simple case of Carlo Ancelotti doesn't trust a lot of the plays he's got. I think you know you, you, I think you see that as well in terms of the, the back four so unsettled it's a different centre centre back partnership week on week. You know you look at the midfield if, if Alan and, and Decore aren't available like they haven't been in, in recent months that constantly swaps and changes. There's no real consistency there. So I think it is simply down to Carl Anthony doesn't believe he's got the players to trust to play a different way and probably a more expansive way of, of what we hopefully, that we all think he, he wants to play. But I think, you know, what, what Adam said there is right, but I, I do disagree. I think I think yesterday was working for him. Yeah. They were fighting for their lives and they, had to, they were battling for every point that they could possibly gain. And they'd shown... They had kind of shown a bit of fight, a bit of spirit. That was a Sheffield United team. They said nothing to play for. Absolutely nothing to play for. I mean, you know, some, some of them like to probably think, of, well, I'm in the Championship next year. Some of them probably hoping not to beat the club and they'll still be in the Premier League next year. And I think the fact that, you know, the, they wanted it more was, was a damning indictment about how poor it was that a team who've got nothing to play for, already relegated, have been pretty shambolic for most part of the season wanted it more than they did when, when it mattered most because I know we all kind of had our you know a little bit downbeat after after the Aston Villa game in terms of our hopes for top four and certainly the, the top six. But Everton still had a chance yesterday if they wanted themselves right in the bracket going into the final week of the season. They had a chance to, you know, place balls at home, win it tomorrow, win yesterday and then go to yeah. Wednesday and have a chance of taking to Man City and giving themselves you know a, a real chance of making something of this season and yet now you know, we're looking over our shoulders. Some clubs who we've all joked about how poor they've been so far this season, like South Arsenal, and yet they could not finish above Everton, which is, is pretty damning. And I think it all comes down to Carlo who's shoulders from the blame because he probably should have changed it. But if he doesn't believe in the squad, which I don't think he does, then Everton needs even probably more change that we all think he's doing in the summer moving forward. Preno, so- social media was a pretty wild place to be yesterday after the Everton game. You know, you... <laughs> You're a brave man going on there after that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't for, for one second believe it's the, well, it 100% isn't the, the overarching view that for one second Carlo Ancelotti should be replaced or anything near that. But you, you, you do see a few people not happy with the, certainly the style of football that's been on offer this season. How, to, to, look at, to look at it more reasonably, how much of, a, how much of the blame do you put on it? Not blame, but 
how much responsibility does Carlo Ancelotti share for the Everton home form this season? Because even just an average season at home, we would probably comfortably be fifth or sixth. You know, it has been embarrassing at home. How how much of that comes down to the manager in your book and how much has, you know, we've had Silva, we've had Koeman, we've had Martinez, we've had people out of the depth. And I think, you know, it's been easy to point the blame at the manager. It's not too hard to point the finger at the, the three-time Champions League winner. Is it more in your book players have finally been found out as not being good enough for, for Everton? No, no, it's got to be both. I mean, uh, the manager said as much himself uh, in his post-match press conference where he said that, you know, he will take responsibility, but equally the players also have to take some responsibility, uh, and they do. My my concern is that this season has been such a strange season in many respects uh, because of, you know, the obvious, uh, with no fans being inside football stadia. And, you know, away wins have been more prevalent, you know, across the board, not just at Goodison Park, you know, so everywhere, you know, away teams have fared better because referees aren't being influenced as much by home supporters because, you know, players aren't being influenced by the home crowds. When Liverpool went, how many years was it without losing the game at home and managed to lose six in a row uh, around field, you know? So, you know, it's been a completely strange season, like, so really, really weird. But my worry is that, you know, are the players really that brittle that, you know, they rely on that uh, to actually turn in performances that for me suggests that there is a lack of character and a lack of leadership amongst that squad and I know we've said it many times before I mean I was fortunate stroke unfortunate enough to be actually at the game yesterday first time I've been since last March 14 months and uh, it's the first time I've experienced that situation whereby you can actually hear what the players are shouting on the pitch and you can hear Jordan Pickford uh, fairly you know so routinely but you couldn't really hear much else. Most of the uh, the vocal you know, voices were from Sheffield United players, certainly in the last 20 minutes. And OK, you know, so just shouting on a football pitch doesn't automatically indicate leadership. But it sort of indicates that, you know, so that you care, you're passionate about what's going on. And it's just I found it a little bit troubling that there was such acceptance, really, amongst a lot of the players, you know, so what, what was happening. You know, there was no, you know, so real fire or real desire to get out and about. And you can do that, you know, so with actions as well. You know, you think back to some of the famous moments, you know, so in the past, I mean, Phil Neville's tackle on Ronaldo, you know, so how you can actually, you know, so rouse teammates by your actions, by throwing in a, you know, so a fierce tackle, by having this absolutely ridiculous, you know, so press. Duncan Ferguson, you know, so when he scored that goal against Manchester United in 2005, prior to that, he spent about 30 seconds running around like an absolute head case, chasing the ball and pressing till he actually won the free kick from which the goal came from. So moments like that can inspire your teammates. We didn't see enough of that yesterday. And we're not seeing enough of that all season. And I think maybe, well, hopefully, you know, so Carlo Ancelotti is learning that about his players. The character of a lot of those players isn't good enough for Everton Football Club. And, you know, the players that he's brought in have been very, very successful so far. I mean, we've all been delighted by Dekure's first season. You know, so Alan's been a big success. James, on the occasions we've seen him, you know, so despite what Richard Keyes may think, has been an absolute, you know, so raging success. You know, we can't wait to see him, you know, with a crowd in the place actually appreciating what he does. But, you know, we need more players like that. And, you know, so I think we need players with greater character as well. So there's an awful lot of work for Carlo Ancelotti to do. So to actually answer the question, you know, so that you started with, yeah, you know, responsibility has to be shared. The manager certainly has to take some responsibility. But for me, probably more of it is down to the players. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Feel like that's a good opportunity added to, to take a quick detour for for anyone who doesn't know what preno is talking about there with richard keys today he's basically i mean it was quite a tone that he wrote wasn't it? i'll quickly sum it up and richard keys accused carlo ancelotti of being at the wrong club he said that he should have joined arsenal and everton should have hired michael arteta made the fairly outrageous claim that james rodriguez is taking the out of everton only plays in the sunshine, he can't run. If he could run, he wouldn't. Playing on the right, he's a liability and he won't defend. Fairly controversial claims from Richard Keyes. What did uh, what did you make of it, Adam? <laughs> it's just nonsense, isn't it? Like the whole the whole the whole piece gets gets worse like by each paragraph. Like when he when he starts off going saying that he's got doubts about Bramley Moore and he said, Oh yeah, I, I don't have this argument that he can't redevelop Goodison. It's like, yeah, go on then. Yeah, that that <laughs> makes that makes loads of sense. And then he goes on saying, you know, Carlo Ancelotti's at the wrong club and Everton should have got Mikel Arteta instead. And he would have learned on the job. Just like, that's absolutely not what Everton needed at the time, was it? You know, an inexperienced manager learning on the job. Where would Everton be now if, you know, they had Mikel Arteta trying to fumble his way through uh, what was going on at the minute? It, it'd just be... I think it should be absolutely horrendous. And he goes on to make just the most tiresome claims about James Rodriguez, you know, saying that he only he only plays when it's sunny. When let's be honest, he's getting no sunlight in <laughs> playing in the UK, is he? Let like let's be honest. And and let's I think his best performance probably came uh, against Brighton at home in October when it was absolutely it, it was just raining constantly throughout that game. So he just, yeah, I'm I'm loath to talk about it to be honest because he, he just genuinely doesn't know what he's talking about, does he? Like it's just yet another, you know, national pundit who thinks that he's, you know, because he's watched Everton a couple of times this season and they've, you know, he obviously watched them yesterday and they were poor. He thinks he's got some sort of authority and that he knows loads about the club and that he can, he can spout all this manner of nonsense. You know, he's not watched James Rodriguez this season. James Rodriguez. Have played more league minutes this season than he has since the 2014-15 season, but, but like he, that doesn't come into his thinking, does it? You know, we knew that Hammers Rodriguez was going to be, you know, he, he wasn't going to be available for 38 games this season. If he was going to be available for 38 games in a season, he probably wouldn't be at Everton. I think that's long and short of it, isn't it? So, it just statements like that are just absolutely nonsensical, and he, he I, I, I think... he's completely doing it for the attention, isn't he? He, he tried to underline his credibility for commenting on Everton by the fact that he worked on Merseyside between 1978 and 1982 uh, and actually qualifies uh, that by saying that he's really, really sad that he actually left before things started to take off for Everton uh, you know, <laughs> so shortly after that. Uh, and it was, what was really funny, actually, was um, he underlined how little he knows about Everton, was uh, that little clip that was doing the rounds on social media where he was watching the players uh, getting ready to come out the tunnel and he suddenly hears the air raid siren and he's genuinely startled. And he said, is that a fire alarm? Is there a fire alarm going off? And Andy Gray genuinely thinks he's joking. 
And he's, you know, so doesn't actually sort of take him to task over it until he realises he's not joking. He had no idea that Z cars was preceded by an air raid sound. Because after all, it's only been two years, hasn't it, that they've been doing that? Yeah. <laughs> and then Andy Gray like just laughed and goes, I thought you were joking there, Keezy. You know, so, so underlines how little he knows about the football club. But yeah, I don't mind Adam. We shouldn't need to spend too much time discussing that because it was just uh, designed to attract a little bit of attention. And he's done that. He's, he's, he's been successful in his actual aim I, I gather but no in terms of actually rounded analysis of Everton Football Club I think we can dismiss it well what do you now that we're, we're closing in uh, uh, on the end of the season Adam and fans will, will get to have a, a good look hopefully of James Rodriguez against Wolves on Wednesday and hopefully you know, he, he does turn in a good performance how do you assess his, his first season I think there is, you know, regardless, a, a hint of frustration, isn't it? Just because there has been, you know, those con- small but consistent injuries, you know, that we have missed them at times. But do you think that if we can get better players around them next season and maybe keep them fit just a little bit more than we have done next season, he, he will still prove to be, you know, a really inspired piece of business? 100%. And I, I think the, the issue that a lot of people have with, the signing of James Rodriguez isn't actually about James Rodriguez. I don't think it's about the rest of the squad because people have people have talked about you know we when you play in James Rodriguez you've got to you've got to play around him essentially you've got to have people with legs around him and you've got to you know have people that are going to make run the right runs for him and when he's not in the team then you've got to set up in a different manner blah 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 and they're using all of these things you know all of these failures that Everton have managed this season. Because they haven't really played like that, I would say, and they've they've used all that to point the finger at James Rodriguez and say this is this is your fault. This is like your like your signing is is because of this. And I really think it's just it's just the rest of the squad. Like you saw it with you saw it with James even even in yesterday's game. You know the one the one chance that Everton had really was James Rodriguez's fantastic cross right onto the head of Richarlison. You know, nine times out of ten, you're expecting your striker to bag that. Somehow he manages to hit Aaron Ramsdale. And then on the follow-up, somehow Dominic Calvert-Lewin manages to hit Aaron Ramsdale as well. Like, you just can't you just can't account for, for things like that. So, you know, when people are looking at, oh, James has got this many goals, this many assists, blah, blah, blah. That's not going to reflect that major opportunity that he's laid on a plate for one of his strikers. So, like, that, something like that doesn't doesn't reflect into into those numbers at all. I, th- I think when Hamas Rodriguez isn't in the team, Everton look absolutely woeful in, t- in terms of going forward. He is our most creative player. Our second most creative player is Luca Dean. And, you know, I, I think it's great that Everton have got a creative left-back and I think he's, he's obviously a huge asset to the club, but he shouldn't be our second most creative player. And I think that it, it just sums up the, the lack of depth and the lack of quality that we've got in this squad, especially in those forward areas. And I think the the existence of James Rodriguez in this team has only highlighted those issues even more. So, you, you know, when I think that makes the frustrations, you know, when he does pick up these injuries. And I think, you know, the, the cloak and dagger sort of manner of these injuries as well I think it doesn't help you know when he when he just like drops out of the team for seemingly no reason and he's he's out for like three or four weeks and Carlo's saying oh yeah he'll be back next game but then he's out and then he goes oh yeah he'll be back next game and then he's still out you know I don't think stuff like that helps and it does add to the frustration but I think the main frustration is that Everton just don't know how to play when he's when he's not in the team 
And when he is in the team, the only, as I said before, the only discernible tactic going forward seems to be, I'll just give the ball to Hammers and he'll he'll do something with it. And, you know, he's a world-class footballer, but you've got to build around him and you do have to compensate for him because, you know, he's not, he's not going to be the kind of player who's going to be, you know, tracking back loads or, you know, harassing the centre-backs and trying to close down loads. He's just not that type of player. You can't be you can't be signing James Rodriguez and expecting him to be that type of player. Everton signed him because they knew that he's got absolutely bags of quality. He's the best, te- he's the most technically gifted player that Everton have ever signed. He, he, that that's the long and short of it. And Everton just haven't been able to compensate for that. They haven't been able to build a style around him that has suited him uh, consistently throughout the season. And still, I think he's <laughs> produced some brilliant creative numbers. And I think that still he is the absolute creative hub of this team. So get better players around him, you know, get wingers who can actually run for a start, you know, if we, <laughs> if we can get, if we can get a Calvert-Lewin fit and firing in every game as well, you, you know, suddenly you're looking at a, a really, really promising attack and setup with James Rodriguez at the heart of it. I just don't, I don't understand the, the argument at all that he's been anything less than a raw and success. He was free. <laughs> we signed, we signed him for free, and people are moaning. I just don't get it. I, I, I really don't get it. I think the issue for me with it is that like we've ever got a lot of problems, but Harry Rodriguez isn't one of them. But yeah, yeah. it's been made out he's, he is a problem. <laughs> it's just like Everton have got so many problems, and and if you, you could say you know with every home game, Everton's problems, the list of Everton's problems gets increasingly longer and increasingly bigger. But he is definitely not one of the problems. <laughs> it's like so much is being made out of. This Hamed Rodriguez, where you know, I agree. Every what Adam said there is absolutely spot on. It's just not an issue, and, and there's so many other issues that they've got and problems they've got that probably needs highlighting and needs, you know, the in-depth analysis work that some people put into highlighting Hamed so far this season that no one even attempts to even bother to look at. And I just think how people can even suggest that it, it, he's a problem and he's a, a liability and stuff is, is just is beyond me. And I, I think you know. I mean, Richard Keyes thinks that he can comment because he's got some Everton mates. I mean, that's like, it's like one of us, isn't it? It's like one of us having a Man United mate saying, oh, we, we can be the voice of Man United because my mate's a Man United fan and I talk to him all the time. It's just it's just absolutely ridiculous. And anyone who thinks Hammers over you guys is a problem for Everton doesn't know nothing about Everton. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, Colin, I'll stick with you because you've you've waited patiently there. And on one play, one player I do want to speak about who who a lot of people quite interestingly actually were accusing of, of becoming a little bit of a problem uh, for Carlo Ancelotti and for Everton. Richarlison is is slumping form has kind of become a little bit more woody in, in, in recent weeks. He had that, that good spell, I think he spoke about it, didn't he? Just after Christmas where Carlo gave him a little bit more uh, attack and license, and I think he scored six goals in six games. But since then, there's been very, very little output. He's missed some big chances. Certainly, remember the game against Crystal Palace at Goodison Park, and last night, to be honest, I, I barely remember him doing much apart from you know having his his part in the chance that Dominic Calvert Lewin uh, missed after he had his effort saved by Ramsdale. The question really is, what's going on with Richarlison? Do you still have faith that next season he's going to come back bigger, better, stronger? I think, well, I think the, the question of what's going on, that's, the, that's the ultimately the million-dollar question, isn't it, for every Everton fan right now, this minute with Richarlison. 
and no one can probably put their finger on why it has gone wrong for him. And I think in terms of next season, you've got to hope that he has because, you know, similar to what we've just said there, Alt Hamez, you know, the last couple of seasons, he's been absolutely crucial in terms of Everton's attacking, playing attacking yeah. ability and, and his goals have been vital. You know, you look at last season, his goals were vital and kind of stabilised Everton into a, you know, a mid-table Premier League team which they, they finished the campaign as. And I think, I think what, what worries me a little bit with Charleston is I don't think he's quite developed in the way before he might develop. I still yeah. think his decision-making is is, is, is is shocking, you know what I mean? Certainly over the last, you know, sort of nine weeks, you'd say, is I've never seen a player make the continued wrong decision on a, such a regular basis what he's done, you know, wild shots from wild angles and, and then, you know, he's pulling the ball back when you think can just put your foot through it and have a go. It's, his decision-making is really, you know, really he struggles to make you know, the right decision and his finishing as well hasn't come on, I think, we all kind of hope that his finishing will come on and he, he get better and certainly playing in that kind of attacking role and, you know, kind of leading the line for Everton like he has done this season. You'd you hope that his finishing is improving and it that probably hasn't. So I think it, it, it is a massive worry for Everton. There's no doubt about that because, like I say, he's, he's been so crucial. He's been such a big part of everything that's been so good over the last couple of years and he's becoming an integral part of the team. So for him to go so much off the ball like he has in recent weeks, it is a worry. But on the other side, I think maybe you know it's just time for the end of the season to come, you know, switch off and recharge his batteries and hopefully go again next season. And then we'll see the Richardson that we saw towards the back end of last season where he was absolutely everywhere and he was he was head and shoulders Evans' best player by a country mile. Know, Eighteen months ago we were we were worrying that Richardson was gonna go and join Barcelona when there was rumours that they were throwing bids in for him in the January transfer window and as Connor's commented on there, I think my worry with Richarlison is that he's a funny one, isn't he? Because he's not the fastest player ever, he's not the strongest, he's not the most skillful, but he had a little bit of everything and would just quite often drop a little moment of magic into a game, whether that be a finish or a little bit of skill or would kind of play a part in, in creating a goal. But that's been very, very few and far between this season. Are you in the same boat as Connor? Do you... Do you think his development has stalled a little bit and he's not quite heading in the direction we want him to? Or are you still very firmly pro-Richarlison? You can't be pro-Richarlison at the moment because he has had such a poor run. But uh, I'm very, very confident that he will rediscover the form you know, so that we saw from him a year ago, 18 months ago. He's a very, very good footballer. Um, there's no doubt about that. Something gone wrong. His decision-making has been poor over the last uh, few months. He gives away possession far too frequently. Uh, yeah. you know, not always in dangerous positions, but cheaply. You know, And it's just, you know, why have you done that? Why have you done that? Um, but we've seen enough from him in the past to know that he's a good player, to know he's, you know, he's a good finisher. He, he works hard, generally. Although there are accusations at the moment that you know he's maybe not putting as much of a shift in as he should do, I don't think it's um, as much of a concern as, as some in the squad. Uh, I think we will see you know a rediscovery of uh, the Richarlison we know maybe next season. Maybe he does need like a, a good break, uh, but you know it depends on what his international commitments uh, you know so have this uh, this summer. It seems like he actually enjoys playing uh, for Brazil more than he does for his club at the moment. And yeah. that, that's a little bit worrying. But there, there are other issues. I mean, Mason Holgate was hauled off at half time yesterday. And, you know, that, that was, you could see that coming a mile off because he'd had a very, very poor performance. And it worries me how 
how sloppy, how lethargic he looks, you know, so on occasions. I mean, was it Villa where he gave the ball away with, you know, the goal away with the back pass? He did it again yesterday, very nearly gave, you know, gave with another awful back pass. And he just seems to be switching off too frequently. Now, again, is that a crowd issue? Is that the fact that, you know, the players aren't as switched on as they should be because it's almost like a training session? I don't know, but I'm more worried about him than I am with Charleston at the moment, to be honest. Um, you know, I understand why um, Carlo Ancelotti wants to play him. He wants to play a slightly higher line at the back. Uh, Holgate does have the pace to recover, which enables him to do that. But you can't be playing him week in, week out if he's going to give away, you know, sort of howlers like that on a regular basis. Uh, so that's something that probably needs looking at more than Richarlison. But yeah, you know, there's, there's a number of issues. You can go through the squad, couldn't you? I mean, Seamus Coleman's not been at it for the last, uh, you know, the, the last few games. Uh, the midfield balance is all over the place. It's sort of, you, know, you could go on and on, couldn't you? But uh, no, Richarlison, I think, will come good again. There are other players in the squad that I'm not so sure about. Do you feel a little bit sorry for Holgate Preno in the fact that for the I think Phil wrote last week that he's actually played more games this season? At right back than centre back, and I think we had it with John Stones when he was at Everton. He's quite clearly not a right back, and yeah. I almost feel similar with Holgate. He has been pushed around, your right back, centre back, centre back in a five. But I also then do agree with you that I don't know as he sometimes believed his own hype this season after a very good yeah. season last season. Something just hasn't been quite right. You get that impression, don't you? I mean. Yeah, I accept he has been, you know, sort of moved around from pillar to post, but so is Ben Godfrey, and he's absolutely flourished this season. And he gets to play regularly at centre half because he doesn't make mistakes, because he's consistent, uh, because, you know, he does routinely what the manager wants him to. Although, you know, so Phil did pluck him out uh, for having a 35 yard shot <laughs> 20 yards from the end <laughs> and uh, used that as his line into his verdict, which, you know, I, I accept, but a little bit harsh. Because <laughs> um, now Godfrey, you know, has. You know, deserve this place because he doesn't make mistakes and because he's consistent. And Mason Holgate will find that if he continues to make mistakes, you know, so he'll be getting hauled off more frequently and he won't be playing, you know, sort of more regularly. So, yeah, it's harsh that, you know, he has been moved around from position to position. But that's modern football, unfortunately. It's a very unforgiving environment. And we are talking the absolute elite here. We're talking at the top end of the Premier League. We're talking about a team that we hoped would be challenging for the Champions League only a month or so ago. And you can't afford, you know, to, to make excuses like that, that, well, I'm not really playing in my preferred position. Uh, so it's, it's modern football. I was quite uh, actually pleased to read on a you know, slight tangent, uh, the Michael Keane interview over the weekend, uh, whereby he was left out of the England squad recently, very harshly, I thought, because he'd been playing very, very well at the time. And his immediate reaction was to ring Gareth Southgate and say, why have I been left out and demand an explanation? Um, it, it was good. That shows a bit of character. That shows a, a bit of confidence in the lad's own ability. Uh, he said, you know, Gareth explained his reasons to me. I disagreed with them. But, you know, he says that the door is open for me in the future. I think if Mason Holgate was to do that with, you know, sort of Carlo Ancelotti at the moment, he wouldn't really have a leg to stand on. You know, so why did you drag me off at half time? Well, because you were a liability for us. You know, you're in the risk of conceding more goals as a result. So he just needs to get his head down and just work very, very hard and cut out the mistakes. And so otherwise, he's going to find his game time limited, unfortunately. It's like me with you, isn't it, Preno, when you leave me out for a podcast? I'm ringing you. <laughs> I, never make, I never make that call. That's, that's, <laughs> that's always the guys. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Adam Farhad Mashidi was at the game again yesterday, casting his eye over uh, what was obviously one of the worst performances of the season. 
Carlo Ancelotti then said after the game, which there's a few players in the squad who I think should be very worried by this. We don't have players of strong pitch. Team with defined characteristics, we're strong without the ball and direct. I think one of the, te- the technical reasons of this home run is because of this. St- a strong kind of indication of what he wants to do in the transfer market, along with Marcel Brands and obviously Farhad Mashiri will be involved in that decision-making. We asked supporters after the game on Twitter how many signs they think Everton need next season. And just having a quick flick through here, one, one man reckons we need 18 one person thinks 25, and one person says 462, which would be a, a, a big summer, to be fair. But how, I mean, that, that is one of those pointed comments I think I've ever seen an Everton manager make in terms of what he needs to add to the squad. I think we've said it a few times in pieces and in podcasts. We definitely need a ball-carrying midfielder. But realistically, how much work needs to be done in the transfer window this summer. How many players can you see coming in and out? Because, I mean, you know, these football manager FIFA transfer windows aren't necessarily easy to kind of manoeuvre in reality, but it does seem like, you know, the Carlo Ancelotti speaking a few months back of saying we need two or three signings. I think it could realistically end up being more than double To be fair, I think think he was probably being... Bit tongue in cheek when he was when he was saying two or three signings. I think in my heart of hearts, Carlo Ancelotti will have known even by that point that he was going to need more than two or three. And I think, yet again, I feel like we say this every single year, and you know we've probably said it for the last four or five years. It really does depend on how many players ever and are able to get off the books as 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 much as they're able to bring in. You know, we've just seen today Moise Keane has made his uh, transfer intentions pretty clear. With his saying, he hope he hopes to go back to a uh, to PSG on a permanent basis. But it's whether they're going to be able to stump up the money, whether they whether they're going to pay the fee or not. So you know, there's still there's still question marks over even stuff like that. You know, there's players in the squad at the minute. You know, the likes of Bernard, who nearly left in January. What's going to be what's going to happen to Bernard in the future? You know, so many players with question marks over the Reds. So I think realistically, there's got to be. There's got to be constant work on this squad, and I think perhaps we've probably got to the end of this season, and it, it, it's just another reminder of you know the stark realization that this is just a long-term project, isn't it? Under Carlo Ancelotti, he's only made four first-team signings. Really, I'm not really counting Niels and Kunku as a first-team signing yet, so we'll say four first-team signings so far. Uh, Jordan is Jordan is Everton rain, and it's just. Just not enough, is it? Like he needs, he needs a lot of time to to make a lot more signings. He's only really had one transfer window because, again, I don't really count the January transfer windows because you know they're just so so hard to work in. And Everton have you know made their made their uh, stance quite clear on January transfer windows in the past. I just realised that if Josh King as well. I've completely, I've completely glossed over Josh King as a first team signing. So, so, so is the manager. Well, yeah. So let's let's count it as five first team signings, I suppose. But yeah, I think there's just so many positions in this squad that you'd say, yeah, they they do need work. Uh, goalkeeper, you know, you, you're presuming that they, like it's going to be Robin Olsen on a permanent, but you know, you don't know what's going to happen. So I think goalkeeper needs work. Uh, right wing definitely. Right back, definitely. Ball canning midfielder, definitely. If Moise Keane goes back up striker, definitely. So they, they, that's just piling up there, isn't it? That's that's five signings that Everton, I would say, will probably need to prioritise this summer. 
and that's not even to mention you know just building up the building up the squad as well you've got to you've got to try and get players off the books it's just gonna it's gonna be such a ridiculously busy summer i think for everton and you know the the expectations are going to be so high like this summer but it's going to be so hard to get all that work done so it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see uh, to see how Ancelotti brands and and Mishiri try and cope with it because it's going to be uh, it, I'd rather them than me to be honest because that's that's going to be an absolute nightmare to try and work to try and work through that transfer window Connor how how important do you think it is that as Evertonians over the last few years we we've got quite used to transfer sagas that ultimately end successfully or unsuccessfully you know the Hannes one rolled on last summer we had the Kurt Zuma one the summer before that, you know, we've all all remember the Yarmolenkos and the Raquel May type ones as well. How important do you think it is that Everton get the business done early, get a squad together for Ancelotti to work with for a full summer and ultimately come back stronger next season? That's massive, I think. You know, there's no doubt in this the early you get your business done, the best chance we've got of, of kicking off the new season on, on the right foot and, and really having a go, I think. You know, you would like to think and you like to hope that, you know, Carlo Ancelotti and Marcel Brands have been working out for a number of months on, you know, a list of transfer targets who they, they see as, you know, players that we can we can attract to the club and bring to the club. I think, you know, you, you'd be disappointed if Everton kind of were in a position now where they didn't already know who a number of their key targets were going to be. And, and let's face it, if they hadn't already kind of started making tentative inquiries about, you know, the, the positions of them players, because we all know that happens in football. You know, you, we've all seen happen in the past where you know players are kind of lined up for moves and things are said you know well before the season or the transfer window opens. So I think it's massive. I think you know the early Everton get players in the better, and I think you you would like to see us in a position you know by when we possibly when we play our first preseason friendly where we've got maybe two or three through the door already and maybe one or two on on the way because you know like Adam said we're definitely going to need. You know, reinforcements this summer, the squad's going to need another shake-up. And, and hopefully, you know, you, you look at kind of, you know, the players we brought in last summer and, and the impact they've had, even, you know, Robin Austin in goal, for, for instance, and all the only lads on own from Roma. But he's, there's no doubt he has an impact on Jordan Pickford's upturn and form because, you know, quite simply when he comes into the team and, and was such a good presence, and, you know, let's face it, there was, there was a time back in October where, November, where Everton fans were calling for Robin Austin to be the, the club's number one goalkeeper. Given you know how, how poor Jordan Pickford have been at times, so for me, I think it's vitally important that we have another summer like we did last year, where we get you know, four or five bodies in who are really going to help kick us on. And the early, the early Everton, you know, Marcel Brands will get them in the better for Carlo and Schlotti, and it'll give them a proper platform to work on. Because I think last summer, you know, it was, the business was good, but obviously everything was rushed last summer in general in football because the season finished a lot later than what it normally would do. The transfer window, you know, different dates. It was the season then was starting in September instead of August. It was a tight turnaround. So you know, hopefully this summer when things kind of go back to the way the way they are, it'll enable Everton to, you know, strike while the iron's hot after the season finishes and, and bolster the squad in, in 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 every possible way they can. Well, last summer we signed Hammers, we signed Decore, we signed Allen, all midfielders, but you could make another case that we might need two or three more midfielders again this summer after watching some of the performances this year. It's, it's funny you should say that. I, I, I won't embarrass the individual concern. We were speaking to somebody at Everson yesterday at half-time when we were uh, trying to you know, sort of 
put the world to rights as to what had gone wrong in that first half. And uh, he suggested that midfield was, again, like the key area. We just don't have enough, you know, sort of legs and pace in midfield. And so, yeah, you know, successful though Decoury and Allen's uh, signings have been, we still lack any kind of like sort of pace and penetration in the wider areas of midfield. So, yeah, it is, you know, sort of something that does need addressing this summer. But much as we'd all like to see players brought in early and getting the opportunity to settle in and get to know the club and get to know their new teammates, as ever, it'll be unlikely. I mean, uh, it's going to be a busy summer this summer. We've got uh, Copa America kicking off on June 13th, I think it is. We've got Euro 2020, which is taking place in Euro 21. And yeah. uh, actually kicking off on June the 11th. So, you know, if we are buying players who are good enough to play for their respective countries, which you hope we are, we're not going to be seeing them until those commitments have ended and until they've had like a couple of weeks break after that. So it probably is going to be like only, you know, so a couple of weeks before we get the opportunity to see these like new faces bed in. And, um, you know, so I get to know the other new teammates, unless they are players, you know, who are on the fringes of the international setup and just like breaking through. So, yeah, in an ideal world, it'd be nice to see that. But, you know, I think realistically, we're probably not going to, you know, so see that happen at all. But, yeah, we, we need new faces in a number of areas of the pitch, to be honest. And you know, midfield especially is one of them. And then Wednesday Wolves fans back. How excited are you to have six and a half thousand blues inside? Are they, are they taking like just 65 at, at this point, to be honest? <laughs> going to these empty stadiums, like it is, like I think Preno can now appreciate how just bizarrely crap it is. Like, it, it, like yeah. obviously, obviously, you don't want to moan too much because you still are getting to go to the ground and. You know, it, it, it's been nice to still, you know, have that sort of tradition about about like my weekends uh, over the course of the last year. So I'm, I'm fully appreciative of that. But yeah, it, it is just an absolute nightmare. Be like sitting in those, sitting in that empty stadium. You know, it, it's it's all well and good. You you can hear the hear the players shouting to each other and stuff. But I get bored after the first like couple of weeks, and you're <laughs> hearing them all just shouting the same things week after week. So I just can't wait to have. You know, six and a half thousand fans is going to uh, going to be quite a big difference as well because you know two thousand fans made a huge difference in yeah. itself. I think for those three uh, for those three matches that they were in there, and you know it was it was really 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 heartwarming. I thought to you know, to you know hear those fans back. So to have six and a half thousand fans, I think it's really interesting that they're going to be in all four stands as well. You know, spread out across. I think it's going to be able to generate a, a little bit more of an atmosphere about it. And hopefully they'll just be able to inspire these players to do something a little bit different because you know, they, 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 these players, you know, they, they owe something to these fans, essentially, for how they've been performing this season. You know, after, especially after the embarrassment that they put in yesterday, you know, they owe something to you know, go out and give those fans a bit of a, bit of a show. So you know, hopefully those 6,500 can... Can inspire them onto a, a little bit more, and I'm hoping we're going to we're going to have you know a bit of an atmosphere and you know a bit of a just any sort of improvement. On, well, improving on that performance really shouldn't be hard. Let's be honest, but like any any sort of decent display from Everton, uh, I'll take at this point because you know the last the last few months with uh, with there being no fans in there has just been absolutely dreadful. Well, you've been on good form with your predictions this season, Adam. Can you close out the last game of uh, the Goodison season with another correct score? What are you going to go for? It's tough, isn't it? Because Wolves just didn't look 
great against Spurs at all, did they? At the weekend, no. which which kind of makes me think that they're going to look like prime Barcelona when they come to Goodison Park <laughs> uh, on Wednesday. To be honest, uh, but I, I, I like in me in in my heart, I I just think that those those fans being there is going to make a huge a huge difference. Like they, they they did back in December in those victories over Chelsea and Arsenal, and I can only think that they're going to make a difference this time. So I'm going to go to one. I nearly said 2-0, but I can't, I can't predict a clean sheet at the minute. So 2-1. Trenno? I was going to say exactly the same. I mean, uh, I noted on social media last night uh, us getting a bit of flack over our uh, our predictions because we always seem to be confident in our predictions and we're always hopelessly wrong. Um, but you can only go with what you genuinely believe and what you genuinely think. And um, I, I do think the, you know, presence of a crowd in there on Wednesday night will make a bit of a difference. Um, you know, the players surely won't be allowed to, you know, go through the motions, uh, you know, sort of not give that little extra edge. That they gave was it Arsenal was the last one, was it when we had a crowd in there? And if it did make a, a big difference, I was I was surprised that only two thousand could actually make, you know, so such a presence uh, felt I've been at first team games at Goodison with crowds of 8,000, 8,500, you know, so without any kind of lockdown measures. Uh, and that does, it does make a noise, definitely. So I'm hoping that will make the difference. I'm talking with my heart rather than my head here, but I can't say I was keeping a clean sheet either. But I'm, I'm going to go for a, a scramble 2 1 win as well. I know that's mimicking Adam there, but hey, he's the only one who's gotten right this season. So let's <laughs> <laughs> stick with it. Connor? 3 1. Three one, Tommy. Behave yourself. Three one. Three one. Wow. Have faith, Beryl. Have faith. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna set one in. Yeah, I think I think six and a half thousand fans in. I'm gonna go for three nil. Is my three one. Nil. Yeah, yeah, today first. Richarlison first goal after after Preno slagged them off in this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I said he was going to come good. I don't recall slagging him off. <laughs> not in Sam's reality, Preno. No, no, Sam's so reality is different. Uh, tabloid journalist. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will be back to close out the Goodison Park campaign after the game at Wolves on Wednesday, and hopefully it'll be a lot more upbeat and this one, hopefully, results might even go in our favour, and we might go into the Manchester City game with something very, very slim, but at least something to play for on the final day of the season. Thank you so much for listening. We've been Dave Prentice, Adam Jones, Conor O'Neill, and Sam Carroll, and we'll see you again next time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.